0: Good morning church family. Morning. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad that you are with us. We'll be uh getting going in Mark chapter 12. So if you want to find that spot, that'd be great. Love that you bring your Bibles. Love that we study our Bibles together each Sunday morning. So, and glad that you're with us. So, uh as we get going here this morning, I want to ask you this: What do you think of uh, when you hear the expression "all in"? What comes to mind when you hear the expression? Maybe someone says, "I'm all in," or, or be all in." What comes to mind? Yeah, and I'm not talking about poker this time. Uh, <laughs> I didn't put this definition on the screen. I should have. But here's here's what I'll suggest. This is the kind of this is the one I'm I'm using here when I. When I think of the expression, all in, I'm thinking something like this, to be fully committed to a task or endeavor, to give or be prepared to give all of one's energy or resources towards something. You with me on that? To be all in on whatever it is that we have to do, whatever's in front of us. So uh, I couldn't help it as I thought about this and this expression and, you know, what What's an area in my life that I would say I'm all in on? Uh, Definitely the 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 word basketball came to mind. Uh, Perhaps particularly because we are right in the throes of basketball season right now. Uh, But but definitely, if I was to think about my life and and hobbies or interests or, or different things that have become important to me over the years, I would definitely have to say basketball is among them. I have been in part of basketball for almost as long as I can remember, playing on the playground in elementary school, playing on teams in junior high, high school. I did not play in college, but I worked for a basketball team at my college. And then probably once uh, I got married and we started a family, I'm not sure there's a year in the past 20 that I have not been either coaching or playing or something. So basketball is just a big part of life. I'm probably because I'm all in on it. And it's become part of our family's life. My kids tend to be pretty all in. So we've got me, we've got, we've got four kids that play basketball. Uh, so what life looks like right now is, is uh, Amy and I driving, my wife Amy and I driving a shuttle between <laughs> practices and games in the evenings. And so we're all in in terms of time. We're all in in terms of money to pay for these leagues. Uh, they are all in on their energy and time and, and effort given to their teams. And uh, Amy and I are all in on being fans and enjoying being uh, fans and cheerleaders for our kids. We, have, uh, we love doing it. So, so there's a lot invested there, right? So in some ways, I definitely could say that we're all in on basketball. Um, what about you? What comes to mind when you use that expression, all in? What in your life are you all in on? You're you're investing time, energy, resources. This is something that you value and that is important to you, and so uh, it's part of life and part of family. What is it that you are all in on? Well, this morning, as we think about that, um, of course, hobbies and interests and things like that are fine. Um, but this morning, of course, when we come together as a church family, we want to think a little bit, a little bit further than that, a little bit deeper than that. And hobbies and interests are fine, but what, what really should we be all in on? Uh, there's lots of things in our life that can take up our time and attention. There's lots of things that we can devote our lives to. Lots of things that can uh, capture our attention and our and our our mind and all of our efforts and our thoughts. But do our lives really reflect, do our activities and our, and our time and our, and our resources spent, do our, do our lives really reflect what really matters to us? That's what I want us to think about this morning because we're gonna, you'll see on the screen right now a verse from Matthew chapter six. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Would you read that aloud with me? Let's do that together. For where your treasure is, there, your heart will be also, and throughout the Bible, when the Bible speaks of the heart, it's uh, it's really referring to the center of one's whole being, the whole self. When the Bible refers to the heart, it's including our will and our mind and our reasons and our emotions. So it really is saying. You know when the Bible speaks of, of what's in our heart, what's our heart all about? It's 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 what we're all about, and and, and so uh, that verse we just read aloud, where we invest our time and money and energy, where our treasure is, it is is where we're demonstrating that that's where our uh, what we're all about, where our heart is, what's important to us. So um, so we're gonna get going there in our passage in the Gospel of Mark, you may know we're in a series of messages called The God-Man because we are studying the life and ministry of Jesus, fully God and fully man, Jesus the God-Man. And so open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, and let's consider this this morning, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Mark chapter 12, I'm going to start at verse 35, and as you find that spot, I'll pray for us. Father God, as always, as we open your word, we thank you for the gift of your word, of the Bible given to us, to teach us, to instruct us, to point us to you. And so God, as we open our Bibles, uh, God, I pray that you would also open our hearts and minds to hear from you, that by the power of your spirit, you would speak to us and help us to understand uh, what we read, what we study and how you want to shape and change and rescue and grow us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to start reading in chapter 12, verse 35, in just a moment. And remember here the setting. If you've been with us in recent weeks, and this actually goes back a couple months as we've been studying Mark, the setting of today's passage is that Jesus has been interacting with some of the religious leaders And the religious leaders have been hammering Jesus with these tricky questions. We've been studying recent passages, and and these religious leaders of the time just keep coming at him with what they think. They think they've got this great question figured out, and how they can really surprise Jesus or turn things around on him. They're, They're kind of trying to trap Jesus into making a mistake that would get him in trouble with the authorities. They're coming at him with these questions to question his authority and his identity. And then his answers, though, continue to be so amazing and so perfect because Jesus, the God-man, the best thinker, the best philosopher ever, is coming back with these amazing answers. And so finally, the Bible tells us here in Mark that finally these, these religious leaders didn't want to ask any more questions so they're finally kind of given up on trying to trick him and so now that they're done with their questions Jesus has a question for them mark mark 12 verse 35 and as Jesus taught in the temple he said how can the scribes that's you guys those those leaders he's talking to how can the scribes say that Christ is the son of david Let me stop there for a second. He's getting their brains going. He starts his line of thinking. He starts his question with this first part. How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? And he's just getting them started thinking because they would say that because that's what the Old Testament teaches. As we read our Bibles and study, the Messiah, the promised rescuer that was supposed to come, that that everyone knew was coming to rescue God's people, it was known from Old Testament scripture, that he would come from the line of David. In other words, he would be a descendant of King David. You with me on that? So, so Jesus starts his question by saying, why do you say that Christ is the son of David? And inside, they, they hopefully are going, because he should be, because he, the Messiah is the promised rescuer that is going to come from the line of David. But remember, what are people expecting? when they they think of the coming rescuer, the promised Messiah, many of them are confused and and kind of have a misinterpretation of what to expect. Many of them are expecting a a conquering military kind of of king, a, a political victory where God's people, for God's people. That's what they have in mind. So Jesus continues. Verse 36. David himself, Jesus says, in the Holy Spirit, Declared this, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So here's Jesus speaking, verse 36, and he says about David that David said these things, and then he's quoting from Psalm 110. And really quick before we continue here, I just have to do this side note because I love this. Look in verse 36 where it says, Jesus is saying, David himself in the Holy Spirit, declared. What Jesus just did right there is critically important to a church like ours, who is a Bible-teaching, Bible-studying, Bible-authority, gospel-centered, Jesus-is-Lord church. Because Jesus right there just declared the inspiration of this book, that this is God's word. Jesus himself just said, you know when David wrote those words in Psalm 110, He was inspired by the Holy Spirit, by God himself. So there's yet another way for us to know that when we read our Bibles, in this case, if we went to Psalms and we read Psalm 110, and we knew that the human author that put pen to paper, so to speak, was David, but we also know that God's word teaches us that the Spirit carries along. God himself carries those men along as they author the Bible, and therefore the book you hold in your lap is God's word. So Jesus says, David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now that Lord said to my Lord thing is a little confusing in our English, because we don't see the distinction what that actually says there in the original language is, the Lord, Yahweh, the, uh, that first Lord is Yahweh, the name of God, the God of the Bible. The Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, David kind of referring to himself as the Lord, the, the, the Davidic king, the, you know, so there's the expression. So David is saying, the Lord, Yahweh, said to me, sit at my right hand. So verse 37, Jesus says, David himself calls him Lord. So how is he then his son? So if, so if, if the Messiah is, is a human, then how can he be both David's son and David's Lord? That's the, that's the question that Jesus is sort of putting to the scribes. And so Jesus is not denying here the intent of these words in those last couple of verses. Jesus is not denying that the Messiah will come in the line of David. The Messiah, the promised rescuer, has come from the line of David. Jesus just wants them to see something even more about the Messiah. So I think if Jesus... Uh, I think if Jesus and the scribes were texting this conversation back and forth, as Jesus texts this question to them and says, how can, how can uh, uh, the Lord be both David's son and his Lord? I think the scribes might reply with this emoji. <laughs> Mind blown, right? Right? Mind blown, the scribes have to th- completely get a new thought to what they're thinking about the Messiah, to, to what they expect about the Messiah, because the question Jesus poses is a good one. How can the Messiah be both David's son and Lord? Well, hmm. How can that be? It must be that the, that the Messiah will, will be a divine human, both God and God. And man, interesting how we're studying the book of Mark and calling our series, the God-man. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Talk about, talk about mind-blowing. This is what makes Jesus the perfect, the the fulfillment of the prophecies uh, coming for, that, that foretold the coming rescuer. So in these first few verses that we're looking at this morning, most importantly, what we want to hear today, most importantly what I want to get from we want to get from this today is that yes, Jesus is human, born in the line of David, a descendant of David, but more than that, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is to be our master because he is the the arri- he is the arrived, promised rescuer. Are you with me? And when I think of Jesus as rescuer, Lord, Son of God, to be my master, I want to be reminded every day of how much I need a rescuer. And you know what, friends? Every day, I am reminded. And it doesn't feel very good. Every day, I'm reminded how I fall short apart from God's help, apart from his work in my life. Every day, I realize how I hurt people, I fail, I sin, I go against God's best for me. I can't do it on my own. I need to be changed I need God to do a work in my heart and life. And so for that reason, I am all in in following Jesus. I I can't go anywhere else. I'm a disaster apart from God's working in my life. I, I am all in because over the course of my life in following Jesus, he is transforming me. He is making me new. I continue to fall short, I continue to go against him, but he is changing me from the inside out, giving me a new heart, a new mind, a new attitude. And I'm all in with Jesus because where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Son of God, Master, Rescuer. So how do we respond to him then? How do our ref- lives reflect that truth? How do, um, how do we live out with what we're involved in, how we spend our time and our energy and our resources, where we put our treasure, where we express our value, where we say we're all about, uh, does that line up with our desire to reflect God's work in our life and to honor him above all? Because there's lots of things you can be all in on, right? I hope you thought of some of those earlier. There's lots of things around us that we can be all in on. We can be all in on other relationships in our life, other human relationships. We can be all in on hobbies and interests. We can be all in on sports. We can be all in in, in, in certain things that we're passionate about. But where's our heart? Those, those things might be fine, but how do they affect our heart and our motives? Lots of things that we can be all in on, but maybe some of them are not worth the investment. And maybe there are other things in our lives, other people, perhaps the God-man himself, that is worth being all in for. So let's continue our passage here. Verse 38, the next few verses you're going to see give us this striking contrast in how A couple of different people live for God. How a couple people live out their practice of of following God. Let's look at the contrast we see here in the next few verses. Verse 38. And in Jesus' teaching, he said, beware of the scribes, these religious leaders who like to walk around in long robes and they like greetings in the marketplaces and they have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses for a pretense and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. These are people that seem all in for God. These are people that, that, that do lots of religious tasks. These are people that, we just read, wear certain clothing to, to designate themselves as, as, as followers of God. Their whole lives are, are, are supposed to be about following God and honoring Him. Fancy robes. They like being greeted in the marketplace. They have the best seats. They have the places of honor. They, they like these long, fancy prayers. But what seems to be their emphasis? Or should I say, who seems to be their emphasis? Doesn't it sound a lot like they're emphasizing their role? What they get out of following God? How cool it makes them look? There's lots of religion going on. Lots of putting on a show for God. But what's going on in here? Is, are those things coming from a deep love for their great God and a desire to love others the way He loves them? Jesus doesn't see it. And so He says they will receive the greater condemnation. So there's one example of a way to live out our, our honoring God, a way to live out our life with God. Is it me centered? And about what I get out of it? And about how I appear for being in church on Sundays? Or, let's look at our contrast, verse 41. And he sat down, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury. This is the, the temple treasury where, where gifts are brought to, the, to God. And Jesus sat down opposite the temple treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. (laughs) Is it just me or is that a little bit of an intense thought? Jesus watching. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which combined made a penny. And he called his disciples, Jesus called his followers to him and said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Look at the screen with me and read aloud together again, Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It seems to me that this woman is all in on loving God. This woman is, this widow in our passage is all in on giving her life, on giving herself, on giving all that is required to honor God. And the last few verses we read then are uh, about Jesus observing people going to the treasury, going to the temple treasury and giving their money to God through offerings. So at this point, as a pastor, as a leader in a church that collects offerings, I could get a little shy and I could hesitate to talk to you about the significance of giving from what God has given us, giving it back to the Lord via offerings. But you know what? Jesus talks a lot about money. And if Jesus in in God's word talks a lot about money, then I think I will too. I can and I will, because Jesus talks a lot about it. But here's the thing. Um, but but here's the thing. First, this pa- I want you to know right ahead of time. First, I think there's a lot more to this passage than just money. Okay? And number two the emphasis here, as I share and as we think about what God's word has for us this morning, the emphasis here is not that I or we as a church family want or even need your money. That's not the emphasis. The emphasis here is that as a church family, what we're all about is helping you to follow Jesus more and more, to grow in him, to follow him in every area of life. That's why we exist. So because that's what God has given this church to do, then let's dive in and talk about it, okay? When Jesus, uh, I said that Jesus speaks a lot in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Jesus uses his money as an example a lot. And when Jesus talks about money, almost always he's he's using his stories, talking about how you and I handle our money, Almost always, when Jesus talks about money and how we handle our money, he's using it as an indicator of our discipleship. He's teaching it to us that, that our use of our money, that the way we handle our resources, the way we handle what God has blessed us with, is indicative, indicates my discipleship, my commitment, my, my, my following Jesus, and the way that following Jesus is, is, is portrayed, is lived out through my life. And so then, what does the New Testament teach us then about giving? We should know. In New Testament passages about giving, the heart is emphasized. Remember we talked earlier about the heart, the center of one's being, one's will and mind and reason, one's whole person, what, what a person's all about. And when new, the New Testament talks about the significance of giving what we have been given back to God, It talks a lot about our heart. The New Testament doesn't talk about an amount, a percentage. It doesn't give us a math equation. It doesn't tell us that you so-and-so should give this much and you so-and-so should give this much. The Bible talks a lot about our heart. 1 Corinthians 13.3 is on the screen. It says, if I give away all that I have, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So what do we get from that? That the posture of our heart is important in our giving. That if we don't give out of love, that's not what God is looking for. And if we don't give out of love, then we've really missed the boat. Does that make sense? In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, also on the screen, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. When we pass the offering bags, I am not staring at you. Because I don't want you to give under compulsion. I don't want you to give out of guilt or reluctance. This is between you and God. The Bible says right there, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. Again, this is about our heart. Our response to God in any area of life, including the way we handle our money, is a matter of the heart. And if, our, if the posture of our heart is, is love for God and love for others and cheerful, generous giving because of his working in our lives. That's what God, that's what pleases God. That's what God wants to see. As we follow him and as we trust him and as we are, give our lives increasingly over to following Jesus, this will be the natural result is for us to trust him in every area, including the way we handle our finances. And you know what's interesting else about this passage? Um, it's interesting to consider, if you, if you think back to the amounts given at the temple treasury, if you look back there in your, in your scripture at uh, verse 41 and following, and you think about the amounts that were given by those different people, from a human perspective, just thinking the way you and I often respond to things, from a human perspective, we might be impressed by the vast sums of money given by some of those first people people in the story. Right? This incredible amount of money that they're dumping into the offering and from our human perspective that's you know big and grand and impressive. But but as we study God's word here, this passage teaches us that God is more concerned with the giver than the amount of the gift. Are you with me? This is very important. That God is more concerned with the giver, the heart of the giver than the amount of the gift. He values, God values, our sacrifice more than the total amount of money that lands in the bag. So when you hear encouragement from from your church family that part of following Jesus is to share in the resources that God has given you, it's not about equal gifts. It's not about I have to give the same amount as you and you have to give the same amount as so-and-so and I should give the same amount as you. It's not about equal amounts. It's about equal sacrifice. Our passage told us that some of those just gave these vast sums, but it was out of their surplus. Meaning what? Meaning that their gift was out of the extra. They were so loaded that they had already taken care of all their needs and their bills were paid and their food was on their table and then they went, oh yeah, and look at this. So it's not about equal amounts, it's about equal sacrifice. That's what God calls us to because the widow gave everything she had, all she had to live on. That was the bigger sacrifice. Our giving should hurt a little. When we think about our monthly budget and our annual spending and our different financial goals, we'd prefer that money to stay in our bank account, wouldn't we? Some of our other financial goals and our, the possessions we have and the niceness of our car and the vacation we can take depends on us keeping some of that money. But for the widow, it hurt. It was all she had to live on. Now, what I don't want you to hear is I don't believe this passage is instructing us to go broke to give to God. The heart of this passage is what we keep reading, and I'll have you read it aloud again, Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't think the point of the widow's story is that we have to give everything that we had to live on, but I think that we are reminded here this morning that where our resources go indicates the condition of our heart, and what's important to us, and who we are, and what we value, and what we're all about. The widow's example is uh, for all believers. If you are a follower of Jesus, her example is for you this morning, that, that part of our living for God, honoring God, involves giving generously, cheerfully, with love, sacrificially of the resources he has given to you. And if you're a member, if you're an official member of Faith Evangelical Free Church, you've gone through our membership process and said, I'm in, this is my family. I want to be part of what God is doing in our church family. If you're a member of of Faith Evangelical Free Church, you have committed to attending regularly, frequently, consistently attending, to serving and volunteering to help things happen in our church family and to giving back of your resources what God has given to you. Um, and then I want to cover one more thing here before we move on and wrap up, is that uh, oftentimes, I think when this topic comes up, a, a, uh, a very dangerous uh, uh, wondering question could come, is when I give, when I give my money to God, is he going to bless me? It, we may wonder that. We may wonder, okay, God, I'm giving you my money, so you're going to give me a bunch of money back, right? Not only might we wonder that, but there's some dangerous folks in so-called churches that teach, you better give, you don't have stuff because you're not giving the church enough. That's wrong. That's not what, God's, that's not what the word teaches. Does God reward our giving, our sacrificing for him? Yes. Yes. For sure in eternity. For sure in crowns that we receive, blessings that we receive because of Christ, when we enter into the, into the life with him eternally, but not necessarily on earth. When we give and we sacrifice for him, is he guaranteeing that our finances will, will suddenly drastically improve and we'll win the lottery? No. We have no reason here to think that this poor widow's circumstances changed at all, but her heart was what God was concerned with. And her heart puts her in the proper relationship with God for her to benefit from life eternal with our great God. So be wary of false teachers that say you haven't, that you don't have stuff because you haven't given enough money They are padding their own wallets. Okay, uh, I want to share this with you. In my studies this week, I read from a pastor, uh, author, scholar named Kent Hughes, and Kent Hughes told this story, and I think we can enjoy it together. There is a disease which is particularly harmful these days. It is called cirrhosis of the giver. It was actually discovered about 34 AD and it ran a terminal course in a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. If you don't know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, feel free to turn to Acts chapter 5 later. There you go. The story continues. It is an acu- uh, a cirrhosis of the giver is an acute condition which renders the hand immobile when it attempts to move from the wallet to the offering plate. The remedy... The solution, the fix, the remedy for cirrhosis of the giver is to remove the afflicted person from the house of God. Why? Because it is clinically observable that this immobile condition suddenly disappears in alternate environments like golf courses, clubs, and restaurants. But of course, cirrhosis of the giver is not really a disease of, of immobility, Cirrhosis of the giver is really a heart problem. The best true remedy for cirrhosis of the giver is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as you love God, and as you pursue him, and as he, his love fills you increasingly in your life, his love will overflow out of you in many, many ways, one of which will be opening the wallet more easily. The true remedy is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because if you'll allow me on the screen to reverse the order for a moment where your heart is, there your resources will be. So handling our money is an indicator of our following Jesus. But again... God doesn't want your money. He wants you. He's not concerned with the amount of your gift. He's concerned with you trusting him so much in every area of your life that the giving is easy and that the loving others who are different than ourselves is easy and that the studying our Bibles and spending time in prayer each day is easy. God doesn't need or want our money. He wants you, your heart, your life. And when we give ourselves to him, we will serve him in many ways. And one of the ways we will serve him is through our giving. But here's where I said earlier, I think this passage is about a lot more than just money. Because the widow's example to us is really an all-in example, isn't it? A sacrificial all in, willingness, here I am, God. I can't do it on my own. I trust you with it all. And I think this goes so much further than just money. And why was she all in? Why am I all in on Jesus? Why are many of you, but perhaps not all of you, all in on Jesus? We need to be because Jesus is the son of God. God himself came to be with us, died Uh, raised again to new life because Jesus is son of God, the rescuer, our master. Therefore, this morning, I I urge you to be all in. And when I say I want you to all in for Jesus. I'm not saying that you need to earn God's love or that you need to do more stuff in order to make God happy or that you need to do these religious things because that's what allows God to love us and to save us. No, God loves you now just the way you are even if the wallet's closed. And God rescues those who are undeserving. I, am, I, apart from Christ, I am nothing in Christ I am rescued and I have new life. And so I want you to be all in for Jesus, but it's, it's not because you have to earn or, or work for God's love. But friends, as a pastor, I see this and I, and I mean this. I want, I want it more for you. I want all that God has in store for you. I want you to experience the richness and the abundance and the blessing that it is to entrust our lives, our hearts fully to God, to give ourselves to him, to live for him and not ourselves, to, to say to him, I can't do it I, on my own. I'm a disaster. Lord, use me, change me, mold me, take me, shape me. When we surrender ourselves to God, I think God has so much more for us. And our growth in him is, is, is increased and sped up. And we are, have opportunities to love others and to be blessed by others and to, to grow in these different ways. And so, of course, is, is coming on Sunday morning to worship together at 1030 part of that? Of course, this is important. Glad to have you here but I sure hope that your following Jesus doesn't stop with an hour a week in this room because, friends, Jesus has so much more for you than that. Jesus changed my life and is continuing to change my life. And being part of a a gathering of worshipers on Sunday morning is definitely part of that for me. But there's so much more that God has for you. I think that I I, I urge you to grow spiritually on your own, apart from these times together, to open your Bibles, to spend time with him in prayer. I urge you to serve your church family. We can serve Jesus by volunteering and serving among our church family. So many of you are doing this already and we're so thankful for you. But friends, we have a growing church and lots of children and our children's ministry does not have the resources to care adequately each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 10 30 a.m. for the children that God is bringing us. And uh, not all of you are called to, to serve in children's ministry, but more of you are. And it's not as scary as you think. And, uh, and you're not going to miss 18 sermons in a row because Debbie does a marvelous job working with our volunteers and rotating shifts and creating teams of people that can serve together. So we need more of God's people that call Faith Evangelical Free Church home to show God's love to our children. And I'm praying that those people will, will be raised up. And I know that there's others areas of our church family that that need your help and giftedness too because God made you just the way you are for a reason. You're good at stuff. You have a heart for God. You have skills and gifts and things that you offer to a church family that are unique to you. And a church family only functions the best for God's glory when every part of the body is functioning and contributing. So, this isn't a drive-by guilting like you need to serve more. This is, this is the richness of what God has for you. I truly believe this. This is me encouraging you that the fullness of what God has for you comes as we're all in. We've covered, so what is it? Attending, coming to, you know, growing spiritually yourself, serving, serving. Giving our, our, of our finances, we've covered that. Connecting is important. Connecting with other followers of Jesus, finding community within our church family. If you're not already connected to a smaller group within our church family, looking for an ABF at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or a, or a small group that meets during the week, where you can know and be known, where you can live life as God intended it to be with in relationship with other followers of Jesus. All of these are are my encouragement to see how God wants to work in you when you're all in. Does that make sense? Not because you have to be, not because you think you're supposed to, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but because I, I, I can assure you that God is at work in your life and he will continue to work in you and transform you and so, why not be all in and ask Him to continue that transforming work in your heart? Don't do these things for me. Don't do these things for uh, because you think you're supposed to do these things because you love God and want to demonstrate that to Him. I think all these things work together for our spiritual uh, good because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King of Kings. Jesus is son of God, promised rescuer. I want to make him increasingly lord and master in my life and I and I do what I do because I want to help you make Jesus increasingly lord and master of your life because where our treasure is, where our investment is, where our time and energy and resources go, there is our heart. and and what's important to us, and what we're all about. Amen? Amen. Well, I'd like to close in prayer here. Father in heaven, you are great and mighty creator God. We look to you. We thank you for the reminder from your word this morning that You love us so much that you sent Jesus, that you sent Jesus, son of man, son of David, yes, but son of God, the God-man himself, our rescuer, our Lord, our master. We thank you, God, for your love to us through Christ. And this morning, God, we thank you for Pastor Ted and the whole Kitzmiller family And God, we pray uh, your continued guidance and blessing on them, especially here in these coming um, days during this transition. And God, may your love and grace abound to them in this new season of life. God, we thank you for a time to study your word together this morning. God, would you help us to recognize Jesus as Lord and Master of our lives. God, I pray for those that don't know Christ, that, that, that feel like they have to earn God's love, God, I pray this morning that you would speak to those who need to give their lives to Jesus. May we look to him as our Lord and master and may, may we all live with Jesus as our Lord and master in all that we do. God, we thank you that we don't have to earn your love, we don't have to work for our salvation, we don't have to do things that to make you love us. Yet, Lord, because we love you, because we want to honor you, because we are thankful for all you've done, we, want, we do want to live for you. We do want to be all in according to your good purposes and for your glory. Help our lives to reflect thankfulness to you and reflect your love to those around us. We want to live for you. We want to live all-in lives for you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.